And we're in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, and we're studying, uh, just going through the book of Acts together, studying this great historical development of the New Testament church. And we're in the 19th chapter, beginning at verse 21, so you find that with me, and just kind of hold the place, and we'll get started. I want to focus tonight on one of the rarest of virtues, virtues of, the, of our life. It's something that we desperately need and we have so little of. It's peace. Not in the world do we have peace around us. Someone pointed out not long ago that in the 3,500 years of recorded human history, there have been only 286 years without some war somewhere. We don't have peace in the world around us. Somebody kind of with tongue-in-cheek says, Washington has a large assortment of peace monuments. We, wreck, we have erected one after every war. And neither do we have peace within us. We don't live in a time of peace as far as our own uh, feelings, our own being is concerned. We're shot through with anxiety. And there's tremendous unrest in, in, in people. Um, I suppose that there are more uh, times of depression and anxiety and worry among people than at, ever, at any other time in our, in our re, uh, recent memory, at least. We're concerned and, and troubled, and there is anxiety. And you might be saying the wheels are kind of turning, and you say, well, how does a guy, you know, a person in this pressure cooker age when everybody has to struggle to make a living... Uh, it's not possible to be at peace. There, a dynamic man is a man who lives on the edge, on the cutting edge. And he's not one of these, uh, you know, uh, easygoing, uh, uh, free thinkers. He's a person uptight and, and on the cutting edge, a dynamic man. It's not really true. Frank Global has written an excellent book called The Excellence of Leadership. And in this book, he has a chart listing on one side, the 31 characteristics of mature leadership. On the other side, the 31 characteristics of immature leadership. And he makes note of this, that on the immature side, immature leadership, the characteristics of it are critical. A person is critical, emotional, tense, and impulsive. On the other side, the mature leader is a person who is tolerant, calm, relaxed, and patient. In other words, he is admitting that it takes peace of mind to function well, even to be a leader. Not too long ago, I found a verse of Scripture, and I want to point it out and look at it just a minute before we get to the text. And so if you'll turn back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 26. Now, Isaiah is near the middle of the Bible, so if you can find some, you're well on your way. If you can find the middle of the Bible and take a right, you'll come to Isaiah... And the 26th chapter is where we want to look at verses 3 and 4. Now I want to do a little word study. Now all of this you can put on the back of this outline because it's not listed there. I want to do a little um, etymology here, a little word study, and take this passage of Scripture and break it down. And if you'll just hang with me, a kind of a simple message. We're going to get there in just a minute. Verse 3. The steadfast of mind thou will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in thee. 
I'm going to confess to you, a lot of times I wake up at night and the, and the pressure and the, the problems that I have, I live under every, every day as the pastor of this church. And I'll wake up about 3 o'clock in the morning and my old stomach, you know, starts churning as I think of the responsibilities that are mine, that are mine and what I have to do tomorrow, this morning. And I've quoted this verse time and time again, the steadfast of mine that will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in thee. Verse 4, trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Now, I want to break that verse of Scripture down. I want to take it, just look at some, ver- some words of it. Are you, are you with me? First of all, I want to look at the word steadfast. It's a word that means to lean, really. It literally means to lean. It means to rest, to support something. It means being sustained as the result of leaning. Yesterday, um, I had to mention this, I, uh, I went to the ball game. You know, the one that took place over in the Cotton Bowl. And uh, this fellow got hurt in the, in the game and they b- took him off the field and, and he was leaning on his friend. He was being supported. He was steadfast. Now, to see him lim- limping off uh, sure didn't give much indication that he was steadfast. In fact, his leg was uh, almost uh, out from under him. But he was, he was steadfast because he was leaning on this friend. That's what that means. It means to lean on. Second word, or two words, of mind. Steadfast means to lean. Of mind is literally the word that is translated frame. It's where we get the terminology, frame of mind. It means a fashion or frame of reference or mind. Now let's put the two thoughts together and we get this. A frame of mind receiving support from leaning, thus being sustained. Get that now. A frame of mind receiving support from leaning, thus being sustained. Now let's move on. Look at the word keep. It's a word that means to guard from danger, to watch over. The word peace, perfect there, is really not the best translation. It's the Hebrew term shalom, shalom. It means peace that is uninterrupted calmness. It's what you find when you get down in the middle of the ocean. Now up on the top, there's a storm brewing and the waves are churning and tossing. But if you get in a a submarine... I'm told, and get down beneath the waves. It's perfect calm. It's like being in the eye of the storm. It's uninterrupted calmness. And it comes from the God on whom the person leans. Now be sure and mark that. This perfect peace, this calmness, comes not from the person who is in the experience himself, but from the God on whom that person leans. Look at the word trust. It's a word that means to throw down upon your face, to throw yourself down upon your face. And when I see that, I think of a man on a trampoline. And um, he's bouncing up and up, and all of a sudden he just prostrates himself and falls flat on his face on that trampoline. That's the idea. It means to abandon yourself, to abandon yourself. To place all your anxiety on the one who supports you. Now let's put it all together and get the marvelous uh, commentary or or, uh, uh, interpretation of 3 and 4. Go slowly with me. Right. There is this frame of mind 
that receives support from leaning, being sustained, thou wilt watch over with infinite calm because he throws himself down upon you. That's what Isaiah is saying. He has this marvelous frame of mind because he receives support, being sustained, because God is watching over him, the God upon whom he throws himself down and abandons himself unto. Now, if we're going to say that in a, in a, in a, you know, a Knox County translation is this. If you abandon yourself down upon God, you will find a support, a, 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 a reinforcement that will give you a frame of mind that is uninterrupted calmness. And that's exactly what you and I want and need. Now, in our text, in the 19th chapter of Acts, we're going to we, 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 we'll make it back to there. I want to show you three examples where, where normally a person is just riddled with anxiety, but he wasn't. And we're going to notice how that in this time when a person just should have gone all to pieces, he didn't because he had this frame of mind that was receiving support, having abandoned himself upon the rock. The first is found in verses 21 and 22. Now, I'm going to, this is a simple message, and you'll just jot down a few things. Number, first thing is looking back. Verse 21 is an arrow pointing back to verses 1 through 20 of chapter 19. Now, the Apostle Paul is beginning to shut down his ministry in Ephesus. He has been in the Ephesian region for three years, and verse 21 is saying that he is shutting down this successful ministry in Ephesus, and he's getting ready to move on, and he is, he's planning to go to Rome. That's the key. He's making his plans to go to Rome. That's the dream of his life. That's the goal of his life. Now, why is he wanting to go to Rome? Because Rome is the oval office of the world. Rome is the heartbeat of the, of the nation, the city of Rome. He knew that if he could get to Rome, he could influence some of the most influential people with the gospel. He, he can, even could preach to Caesar. And so here is this man whose whole life is wrapped up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he has this marvelous dream, if I can just get to Rome. I want to get to Rome before I die. And I'm going straight to the Oval Office and I'll preach to Caesar. And there's some of the household of faith in the, in, the, in the palace of Rome. And I'll preach to them and the gospel will be like a flame in Rome. That was his dream. I must see Rome. But he was at peace with himself. Look at verse 22. There's a key there. For 36 months, the Apostle Paul had spent on this third missionary journey. And you don't know this unless you do a little background study in the book of Acts and discover that nine out of those 36 months was spent in Asia. Now look at what verse 22 says. And having sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus, he himself, stayed in Asia for a while. Now really, how long did he stay in Asia? He stayed in Asia for nine months. Nine months. Now watch. Here is a man who finishes down his ministry in Ephesus, and he has this dream of going to Rome. That's the goal of his life. 
But for nine months he's in Asia and he can't get there, but he's at peace with himself. Now, ready for that line that says peace and, and the definition? I want to give you this definition. Peace is the ability to remain faithful in spite of the panic of the unfulfilled dreams of your life. Peace is the ability to remain faithful in spite of the panic of unfulfilled dreams. You ever been there? You've had this dream? I thought yesterday when they uh, hauled that guy off, just happened to be wearing orange. And they were carrying him off and he was limping. Uh, All-American Center from the uh, University of Texas. And I thought to myself, I wonder if his career is finished. I said to my son sitting beside me, I hope it, didn't, hope it doesn't ruin his career. Certain pro-candidate, uh, Ruther, the Center for the University of Texas. And I can just see that man as he limps off the field, racing through his mind, is this panic that all the dreams of his life, all the sweat and blood of his life that has gone into this athletic career, all down the drain in one play. Have you ever been there? You've had this marvelous dream and all these plans, and they're just unraveling. Peace is the ability to stay calm in the panic of unfulfilled dreams. Now, how do you do that? Well, the, cue, the clue to the answer of how to do that is in that 26th chapter of the book of Isaiah. You do it by abandoning, abandoning your life upon God. For when you lean upon the rock that supports you, He begins to open up doors to new dreams. And you've been there too. Now you might say that after that, everything is going to calm down and everything is going to be all right. Not so. Look at verse 23. So it begins with this statement. And if, you, um, if you're watching a uh, uh, kind of a, a, a mystery TV show and all of a sudden that dark, dismal-sounding music starts, you know that you know, uh, something bad's about to happen. Just look at the way verse 23, and about that time, well, that just says, that's the... That's the that's the violin starting to play, that the, something bad's about to happen. You, you ever noticed that? Just about the time that you got everything all settled with regard to your dreams, about that time something bad happened. And this is what happened. There arose no st small disturbance concerning the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis. Now I mentioned last week that the temple to Diana, another name for that, Artemis, was in the city of Ephesus. And they had this magnificent shrine there and her statue. And they believed that this, this uh, 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 shrine or the, this image fell out of heaven. That was the mythology of the day. And they... Uh, had this business going. These silversmiths were making these little souvenirs that they sold at the ball game, you know, of uh, Artemis, the, uh, the, the goddess of Diana, and they had one on every corner, you know, selling them. And they were making tremendous amounts of money, these business people. And it says, who made silver shrines of Artemis, bringing no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen of silver, of similar trades, and said, men... You know that our prosperity depends upon this business. First record of, of a trade union, I think, in, uh, in history. 
And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. It's a pretty good message. Gods made with hands are no gods at all. Gods you have to erect yourself are no gods at all. Gods you have to create are no gods at all. They have no ears to hear your prayers. They have no hands to minister. They have no heart to feel. Gods you have to conjure up are no gods at all. And not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess of Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship should be dethroned from her magnificence. And when they heard this and were, and were filled with rage, they began crying out, saying, Great is Artemis of Ephesus. And the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed with one accord into the theater. That theater is still there today. It held from 50 to 50,000 people in it. And it just filled with these people. And this mob was gathered there. And they were shouting, Great is the goddess, great is Artemis. And her glory filled the city. Skip down to verse 31. Or, Or verse 30. And when Paul wanted to go into the assembly the disciples would not let him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, uh, I've got this back problem. Um, who was it? Uh, we were watching that film the other night. E.E. guy said, i got this back problem. i got this yellow streak right up, right up and down it. And if there are 50,000 people in a one theater, one great uh, uh, arena, and they're shouting and, and they're working themselves up into a frenzy, and I'm the one responsible for their rage, I'm going to be slipping out of town through the back door. Not the Apostle Paul, for two reasons. One was because he was courageous and he didn't want his traveling companions to to get the abuse that was really his responsibility. And secondly, he had this tremendous peace with God. And verse 30 says, implies, here are these people work themselves up into a rage and they would tear him limb from limb. And the Apostle Paul says, let me go in there. Let me at them. Time for the second definition of peace. Peace is the ability to stay calm in spite of the the panic of unpleasant circumstances. It's the ability to stay calm in spite of the panic of unpleasant circumstances. You ever been there? You ever seen anybody like that? I mean, things are tough and getting worse and the pressure and the heat is on and those people have this marvelous calm. Now, I'm not able to identify too many of those, but I think of one man. They brought him out and they brought all these false accusations against him and they had this mock of a trial and they sentenced him to death. And while the crowd and the mob was screaming for his blood, he looked at his disciples and in this marvelous calm he said, I want you fellows to have my peace. 
Now, how do you get that kind of calm? Not a single one of us has it. How do you get it? You get it from that frame of mind that comes when you've learned to abandon yourself upon the rock. It's that frame of mind that just comes, that you receive from the one you lean on. It's that support you find when you learn to lean your life upon God. I'm told that when they get ready to blast those astronauts off, you know, into space, that they've got these, uh, this, this uh, equipment, these instruments taped to their pulse, and their pulse rate doesn't change a beat. When they start counting down five, four, three, and that thing starts roaring and fire starts boiling out of it, and they know they're going to be shot into space, not, not, a, not a change in their pulse rate. My pulse would be hitting about 216, you know, about that time. You know why they have that calm? Because they've learned just to relax and lean upon for all they have experienced. Why can't Christians come to that kind of thing? Number three, I want you to notice verse 32, waiting through some uncertain moments. Let's read it right quickly. So then some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And the majority did not know for what cause they'd come together. The guy says, what are we here for? He says, I don't know, keep shouting. You know, they, they know what they were there for. They were just screaming and hollering. And some of the crowd concluded that it was Alexander since the Jews had put him forward. And having, no, having motioned with his hand, Alexander was intending to make a defense to the assembly. Why are we here and why all this roar? Why this, why this crowd? Well, Alexander got us here. So Alexander, well, I guess I better get up and, and take over here. I'm, I'm the one thrust in charge. So he got up got ready to speak. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, and this, this, this apostle was a Jew also, a single outcry arose from them all. What did this Jew got up? What was he doing up here? We're, we're all Romans. And they shouted for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Can you imagine that? For two solid hours, 50,000 people were shouting, Hook them horns, you know, they were shouting, uh, Great is the Artemis of Ephesians. And after quieting the multitude, the town clerk said, Men of Ephesus, look at that, the town clerk. Now where did this guy come from? The town clerk. Had no authority, no power, no clout, no badge, no prestige. The town clerk. 50,000 people shouting themselves hoarse, ready to have a lynching right there in, in downtown Ephesus. And the town clerk stands up and he says, quieting the multitude, men of Ephesus, what man is there after all who does not know that the city of Ephesians is guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of the image which fell down from heaven? He's getting them ready. He says, since then these are undeniable facts. You ought to keep calm and do nothing rash. For you've brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of our goddess. So then if Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a complaint against any man, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available, let them bring charges against one another. But if you want anything beyond this, it shall be settled in the lawful assembly. I mean, that's reasonable. The town clerk, 50,000 screaming mob. For indeed, we are in danger of being accused of a riot. That's a, 
no small statement, in connection with today's affair, since there's real, really no cause for it, and in this connection we shall be unable to account for this disorderly gathering. And after saying this, he dismissed the assembly. He'd call them there to begin with. He just said, okay, guys, go home. Watch TV. It's over. And they left. You know, sometimes um, God takes over and does the most unusual things, the most unexpected things, when we're just about to panic. And God calmed these people down in the most unusual fashion with a town clerk... Now I want you to get this. I believe it with all my heart. When you panic, not knowing what tomorrow's going to be like, God is moving town clerks like pawns to get His will done in your life. And He's never without town clerks. And He's never without pawns. I've seen it in my own life. I just knew the thing was going to unravel. It's coming apart. I knew my dreams were just... Going up in a puff like old Charlie Brown. He, the first frame of the, of the cartoon, he's there building his sandcastles. Second frame of the cartoon, he had a big, big old sandcastle. Man, it was fantastic. Third frame of the cartoon, one drop of water splat right on his forehead. Fourth frame, just a deluge, and these sandcastles disappear. And Charlie Brown looks at it and says, there's got to be a sermon in that somewhere. That's the way I feel sometimes. My sandcastle's just going up in smoke. And all these unpleasant circumstances and these frightening, uncertain moments, where is it, it going to end what's going to happen? And all the time, God is behind the scene. He's moving town clerks. and He's accomplishing His perfect will in the most unusual ways. You've seen it and so have I. Pay attention. There may be a town clerk in your life. God may be causing something to happen tonight, college student. God may be causing something to happen in the most unusual way, just to let you know He's still at work. Pay attention. You may be a town clerk. God wants to use you in a way to lead others to Christ, lead others to faith. Parents, you may be a town clerk. Now, the third definition, peace. Peace is the ability to wait patiently in spite of panic, in spite of the panic that is brought on by uncertainty. Now, how do you get that? You get that by leaning on the rock. Let me say this and then I'm through. You can trust God to be faithful to every promise He's ever made. And it may be that some of the most unusual ways of getting there, God will use. But you can, you can rest upon His promise. How do I know that? Well, I've seen it happen. God promised that, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But Mary lived in Nazareth. Now, how are you going to get Mary down there to Bethlehem to have a baby so that the promise of God and the prophecy of the Old Testament will be fulfilled? Well, you move a Caesar. You move Herod to say, uh, by the way, on this year, everybody is going to go back to the house of his, to the, to the, 
birthplace of his ancestors and register for taxation. And so in the nick of time, Mary rides a pony, a mule, a donkey down to Bethlehem from Nazareth and has her baby there because God is behind the scenes moving Herod's to get it done. For God will see to it that He keeps His promise to you. How do you know that? You can know it if you just abandon yourself on the rock. Let's bow our head. Father, we thank you that we can have peace, shalom, shalom, when we abandon ourselves upon the Father, upon the God of heaven and earth, and thus receiving support, we are sustained, and coming from the God who sustains us, and watches over us become, we find, this uninterrupted calm. When all of our dreams are going by the way, we are calm. When unpleasant, pressure, pressurized moments come, we're at peace. When uncertainty sweeps over us and we're not really sure of how it's going to all end, what's going to happen. We don't have to know because we know that we can trust you to make it happen. Give us that confidence, that faith in the living God because I pray in Jesus' name. Now we have three invitations. The first invitation tonight is for you to come and abandon your life upon Christ. Would you like to know how to become a new person? To be saved, forgiven, redeemed, bought, salvaged, made new? Well, the God of the Bible is the God who is revealed in Christ. God of redemption, new life, new birth. And if you come and abandon your life and faith to Christ to say, I take my hands off my life, I surrender to Jesus Christ. I repent of the life that I have lived where I have been in control. I've lived like I wanted to live. I've pleased myself in every way. I want to come and give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to follow Him. I want Him to come and live in me and give me newness. You can trust Jesus and Jesus only, not the church, not the preacher. Not the good works, just in Jesus, just in Him. He said, no way to the Father but by me. You can be saved. Second invitation is for you to come and place your life in the church. I'm not ashamed to invite college students while they're here to place their life with us, serve God. In fact, we depend on you in so many ways. If God is leading you to come and place your life here where you can grow and mature and and experience fellowship, serve God here with us, then come. If not, find where God is leading you and get in there. Third invitation is for you to come tonight. You're just riddled with anxiety and you've walked in unrest. That's a sin. It's a sin to worry. You've been in unrest and lack of peace. 
won't you come and just abandon your life to God? On the rock, you throw yourself. Lean on Him. Let's do it right away. You know, the easiest time to come, when's the easiest time for me to come? First verse, first word. That's right. We're going to do it. Let's stand. Larry, lead us in a song. You come right on.